I know that you've all been prepared for this, but I thought I'd just remind you just the same. Can you handle that? And we're back with another episode of Invasion of the Poly Snatchers. I'm your host, Vincent Green. He's your host, Noel John Tootie. Let's get to it. Right, Noli, I brought you back, and this time we're going to be on board of the Icarus 2 with the Danny Boyle-directed movie Sunshine from 2007, written by Alex Garland, starring Killian Murphy, Rose Byrne, Chris Evans, and a big ensemble of cast as they race to the sun to try to save humanity as the sun is dying. They're trying to reignite it with a nuclear bomb of sorts. What think of this movie when it came out and so forth and all? You know how it goes. I went to it, I went to it in the cinema, and that was the only time I'd seen it, and I... I thought I remembered it better than I actually did. Don't get me wrong, I remembered a few of the key deaths because there's it's such a high concept space film. They're always such visual, such visual um spectacles that you take it in, but I forgot how strong a cast. Like Chris Evans before he was Captain America. Yeah. Um uh, actually a performance by him. The cast itself would kind of remind you of her Event Horizon. We kind of spoke about this last time. Well, this is why we're here, isn't it? Because if we didn't do Event Horizon. Exactly. Like if you look at the cast, they're all like superstars on the cusp. Oh, on the cusp. Yeah, like Event Horizon in a lot of ways, even though I know Sam Neill was already a superstar from Jurassic Park and whatnot. But you know, the comparisons are there. Well, yeah, well, I mean, Killian Murphy had, yeah, he had, like, you know, Chris Evans had. Uh, Fantastic Four under his belt, and Killian Murphy had Batman uh, being the bad guy in the first Christian Bale Batman. Twenty eight days later, as well. Twenty eight days later was under the belt as well. That's that's probably a better example actually because yeah. he's the main character. But at the same time, he didn't have Peaky Blinders. Yeah, Peaky Blinders. You yeah. know, and and, and that's the thing that he'll be remembered for forever. Oh, oh, it will. No, it, it will. I mean, he 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 was immersed in the world there for years and hours and hours of of film. But um, but yeah, a stellar cast. It's kind of look. It's Event Horizon done better. If we're, if I'm going yeah. to be honest about it, mm. it's just the execution is better. The science seemed more solid. Asked a lot of similar questions, but in a slightly different way. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe um, in a more profound way. Yes, and I, honest to God, even though Event Horizon was about a literal hellmouth, yeah, like a literal hellmouth that that feeds on your fear. Yeah. Somehow, I found Sunshine to be more desperate, more sad and yeah. hollow I think Sunshine a lot of us like what happens when a man is faced with his god and in this case yeah. the, the deity like in ancient times is the sun yeah. you know what I mean like so it's like this is what happens with you know we find out later with the Icarus one and stuff but it's all about what happens when man is confronted with uh, with a god or the god or whatever Yeah, and does he keep his mind does he lose his mind does he become one with the god or whatever I think that's the kind of questions they're asking throughout this. You know what I mean? Like the sun takes you know, the place of God in the way black holes take the place place of hell nearly in Event Horizon. You know, the nothingness. The, the real question in this film, and I want to make this clear because it's just an opinion to the fact, is the fact that they met a ship called Icarus. Yeah. And they sent it up to the sun, yeah. and something bad happened. Yeah. <laughs> so they sent up another ship, which they named yeah. Icarus. Yeah. But the thing is, wasn't it Icarus's son that actually died? Not him himself. Was it? Or, or no, was Icarus their son? No, I think I it, thought Icarus. It was Icarus who flew too close to the sun. That's that's what I have in my head. Yeah, with the with the the wax that held the wings together, melted. 
Um, um, so I just thought it was... Yeah, the, Icarus the, was the son, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the big... So I, I thought that Icarus was the father for a second. Uh, Daedalus, I don't know, ancient Greek name. Yeah, you could have, like, there was ancient fire gods, and yeah. you could have called it Mercury or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I know they went with Icarus, which was Do you just... think because they actually needed to fly too close to the sun? <laughs> Yeah, actually, <laughs> well, fair point. Because that's the thing that they did touch upon is that I think Chris Evans's character Macy is that uh, right? Mace. Mace. Yeah. He says it when they when they you know learn when they, they realize that they're close enough to Nicholas One. He says, "Look, the crew on that ship is entirely expendable." Yeah. As are we. Yeah. No, I think Cliff, Cliff Curtis says that. Cliff Curtis. Well, they both actually. Yeah. No, you're right. Cliff Curtis says it. Yeah. Sorry. And his character was called. Um, one second there, brother. Um, his character was, if Curtis was Cyril, Cyril the ship psych, who was pretty much crazy from word one. Yeah, but, um, yeah, he he's he's kind of lost in the ginormity, if that's even a word. Of, no, I think it, I, it's a lovely you know, word. You know what I mean? Like yeah. of the the mission of what the implications of what they have to do, what he's facing, his place in the universe. And like, if you're on a quest like that, there's so many questions and there's so much time you have to ask these questions that they're going yes. to start weighing on you in different ways. And you can see by the time they get to Mercury, is it? That like, yeah. you know what I mean? They're all mentally drained, even at that stage. And only on the way to the sun, let alone on the way home. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But the, the thing about, I, think, I suppose, what they're thinking is, being going home is going home. Hopefully, you've done what you you were set there to do. Yeah, it's not like a trip of two halves. Mm. If the first half goes well, the second half can take care of itself. Yeah, the second half, half can happen. You know, the second half can even happen. Yeah, again. exactly. And and uh, well, it was it, it kind of had everyone. You had your you had your like pilot and your tech and and stuff like that. But you even had the cowardly second in command yeah never ever move away from that trope i always love it yeah that, that, all... that that's the guy who plays um if anyone's ever seen ballers he's like a, an agent in ballers is he yeah he plays like jay i think his name was jay or jason or something a, a real suave character i assume yeah well yeah he's kind of like um jeremy piven ish you know like if oh, anyone's gotcha, ever seen yeah. entourage but um yeah, so, uh, yeah, like, it's the age-old sci-fi, not even an age-old sci-fi trope, it's like a mariner-type trope, that you have the brave captain, like, in Canada, who's willing to risk it all, and you have the weaseling second-in-command, that, yeah. you know, the communications officer, whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Like, so, like, yeah. and then you have, you know, the brave scientist who obviously, you know, Killian Murphy wasn't on Icarus 1, but because Icarus 1 failed, they're obviously, like, maybe there was something to do with the bomb, so we have to send up the guy who invented the bomb the second time. Yeah, you know what I mean, which made sense. Like, but I, I like a lot of the tropes that are like played on, played not even played out, but the ones that they use and the cast is really strong as well. So each well, one, yeah. is, there's no real weak links, you know. Exactly. And if it was this was like Star Trek, you could have a ship with fifteen to sixteen main characters yeah. and ensigns and privates, and you could have touch upon all of the kind of quirks of the human persona. Yeah. But this one had a, like a crew of, I'm going to take a stab at the number eight. Yeah. So I know it was eight in the first one. I think it was probably about eight. Um, so you really just had to have one of everyone. Yeah. And there was the, there was the captain who knew his mission. There was the engineer, Chris Evans Mace, who was pragmatic, uh, pragmatic. Yeah. Mr. Uh, mission. Like we, it was Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Mission. Yeah. Let's, let's die. Let's do whatever it takes. Yeah. There was one job and everything else. And that, yeah, but then you're kind of wondering, how did the coward get on this ship of all ships? <laughs> He's obviously a genius with communications. Yeah, yeah. He never he expected to walk off the Icarus. That's the thing, like, 
You know what I mean? He had to go to Icarus too. That's when he kind of falls apart. You know? Yeah. You yeah. Know? Actually, I think it's when he becomes in command. Uh, we'll touch upon later. That's kind of when he falls apart. He was kind of okay before that. And I think as soon as he was put in a pressure position, he was the wrong person to take over for Canada and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, because I think it was probably Chris Evans' character, um, Mace, might be in the best. Yeah. yeah, either that or the Japanese woman. Um, I think she was Japanese. Sorry, yeah, Michelle Yeoh. Actually, I'm not sure if she's Japanese. I think she might be Chinese. Um, I think she uh, is Chinese. I think she's had a very storied uh, Chinese film career. So. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she was born in Western Malaysia. Um, she's... Of Han Chinese said, okay, I'm not going to go into her whole um, genealogy, but like, so. Um, uh, She's a wonderful actress. Yeah, Mich- even when I've seen her, I just like, you know, I know who she is now and I've seen her in a lot more, a lot more movies and I just like her. I was real happy to see her. I just, I thought, like, yeah, yeah. more strength, just more strength in the cast, basically. Yeah, even Corazon, um, she could have been maybe a better captain. There's so many, yeah, you know, but you know, so like. Yeah, it should have been Mace and for two reasons. Uh, and I think, I know we want to get into the film kind of. In some sort of chronological chronological order. Yeah. But when they needed to fix the heat, the heat uh, shield, uh, your man says, "I volunteer," but I volunteer him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was the one thing that made sense. And then later, when they need they need Killian Murphy's character to for the bomb, he he basically sets himself up to die because that was the pragmatic thing to do then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was only pragmatism and everything. He's he the did. reason it succeeds in a lot of ways. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Even yeah, when he gets trapped later, you know, he's willing to sacrifice himself. So he proves that it's not about you or me, and we're we're literally just pawns. Yeah. And the king is this bomb. Yeah. That, that's it. That's all there is. The game's over if we lose that. So I thought he was I, he was just an excellent character, and a lot, it was great. I know Chris Evans actually does have depth, but he's he's forever kind of Captain America now. Yeah. Um. Even he played the, Captain America with real depth at times too. He did. No, he absolutely did. Uh, Captain America was. Was actually a complex character, but still a superhero uh, character nonetheless. One of my favorite it's, of all the uh, MCU characters, probably definitely up there in my top two. Him, yeah, same. Him, him and Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's favorite superhero, Batman. Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's hard not to love Rocket Raccoon. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just, I, 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 I honestly got thought it should have been him, but I what? I, I looked at this cast and I didn't see any weakness. And I looked at the story. They explained it briefly. It's just the sun is dying. So they're going to try and ignite a star inside of a star yeah. with a nuclear payload the size of Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, the island of Manhattan. And uh, and it, that just sets it up really, really well. As in, it's not. I suppose that's one real thing it had over, like something like Event Horizon. Worst case scenario, everybody upon the Event Horizon dies. Yeah. Worst case scenario, everybody, everybody dies. Yeah, mankind dies. Mankind, everyone. Mm. Uh, in fact, the ones on the ship might have slightly um, less cruel deaths than freezing to death on a barren planet, you know? Yeah. So, absolutely excellent. High concept. Not that me or your dumbass knows absolutely anything about the physics or anything of it, but it, it felt fluid. It felt like it, it meant looks sense. real, is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my so like, Yeah. When, when your man wants, like, you know, to see the sun at 2%, then he's like, turn up the 4%. And she's like, no, that would, you know, the, the Icarus ship tells him that that would burn out your retinas. Yeah. You could probably, you could watch damage. Yeah, you could watch it for 30 seconds at 3.1%. And I, I was sitting there going, yeah, yeah, 3.1%. 
30 seconds. <laughs> Mass- Science checks yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Science checks. I just haven't seen during- No, and you're just there in front of like a, a, a like a whiteboard and you're like working yeah. out equations and stuff. 30, 39 million miles out. Approaching. Carry them on. On the dark side of Mercury. <laughs> factoring the, Yeah, factoring the shadow from Mercury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just sitting here like, yeah, you know, with my, with my monocle and I was just like, yeah, 3.1% yeah, checks out. Yeah, it's like, sounds the, good. <laughs> I don't know. Do you know? Do you know when it just feels um, solid? Yeah. Uh, it just felt like they taught. They actually had taught it out. I think uh, Brian Cox, who's an actual astrophysicist, um, uh, worked on this movie or consulted on this movie or something to try to get the sciences real. And it was written by Alex Garland, who went on later to write and direct Ex Machina, and he um, went and did the uh, Debs um, on the TV series, like a mini series there, and. Um, and Timothy Offerman um, from Parks and Recreations, and like he, he, or sorry, is it Nick? Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman. Yeah, uh, two of us came to the conclusion at the same time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In sync. Um, but uh, yeah, he's big into these high concepts. Is pretty much the, the I was you know bambering on. Massive concepts. Yeah, like this is what he does. He likes to ask big questions. You do like, and he leaves the answers sometimes open ended. Like if if you ever seen devs, it's like but like. I think his stories really lean themselves to visual like masterpieces now. Like just they're just eye candy in the best possible way, you know what I mean? Like it's like if yeah. you look at Ex Machina and the movements of Alicia Vikander, their interactions with Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaacs and just the whole aesthetics. I know a lot like you know, and you, you look at Debs and the whole I am not sure if you've seen Debs, but like it's a mini series, the whole thing yeah. is beautiful from start to finish. And like if you, like, I just think his stories, um, I think he might have even written, I'm not sure if he directed, but Dread, starring Carl Urban. But like, aside from that, he's, he offers up a lot of high um, concept storytelling. And it just lends itself to really good, you know, visual kind of fucking storytelling shit. And I think him and Danny Boyle kind of, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of meshed well or their styles meshed well or whatever. Yeah. Well, Danny Boyle didn't, obviously didn't shy away at all from the high concept nature of the film. Yeah. It it just seems to be very very solid throughout. Um, it just seemed to flow. I, I don't know. I, I was immersed. I suppose is the best way to say it. Yeah. Uh, and I just feel like everything from the aesthetic to the actors to the storytelling um, just worked. It just worked. It just felt like one. Uh, you know, for me, it's not a film that was broken down into parts. I know, like shit goes wrong here, as these space films always do. Yeah. But it it just felt like literally they were just trying to do one thing. Get yeah. this bloody payload to the to the sun. Yeah, they say the word uh, everything just a lot felt, in this movie. Oh, they say the word payload an awful lot. <laughs> and uh, but it just felt I don't know the, the movie felt fluid. Uh, and, uh, been able to watch it a second time and just really appreciate it. I really uh, be, be able to take it in. I just thought what an excellent, excellent storytelling, excellent film. Yeah, and like so, just to kind of jump into it, like. As you described, it's a uh, you know a crew on this ship called the Icarus Two. What happened to Icarus One? Well, yeah. Uh, so and they're on their way to reignite the sun because it's dying. The whole world is stuck in a solar winter, and you, and mankind is like on its last legs or whatever. And like the opening scene is kind of is insane, where you see like Cliff Curtis's character Cyril, and he's sitting in the observation deck. And as you mentioned, like this is where he's kind of you know he shows his obs- he has this weird obsession with the sunlight and the heat and i think just the immenseness of it or something being lost in yep. it or something you know and and also the forefront of it it's not like 
it's you're you're sitting experiencing something that has been experienced by either maybe one other person or nobody. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. So like, yeah, you just think like uh, he just thinks it's this weird singular feeling that he, and he just it was an obsession for him or something. Yeah, and it is. That's how we're introduced to him. Yeah. Literally introduced to him. Yeah, the three point one scene. Three point one scene. I was like, mm, yeah, seems about right. They'll soon be entering the dark zone. I fear. <laughs> you know? And um, uh, and after that scene, so now we get introduced to the rest of the crew. Pretty much, we're just gonna yeah. jump straight into it. You know, we touched on Captain Canada. You know, uh, Corazano. Um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, sorry, Corazan. Uh, a Kappa, that's Killian Murphy, Michelle Yeoh's Corazan, um, Her- Hiroyuki Sanada, it plays Kaneda, Rose Byrne is Cassidy, Benedict Wan is just cast a stack like Benedict Wan, who we all know from, you know, Doctor Strange, plays Trey, Chris Evans is Mace, like, like Mark Strong, you know, and keep going down along this list, like, you know, the cast is just ridiculously strong, yeah. you know. The cast is ridiculously strong and there was a lot of gravity to every character. Yeah. Um, and everybody obviously had a very like no they, they, they obviously they were so had to reserve oxygen water supplies and what have you that there was one of everyone yeah there wasn't two skeleton and, crew because uh, the ship is so advanced because the ship is so advanced they had a skeleton crew yeah because you're literally just steering point and aim isn't it really like yeah oh, actually that's exactly it yeah mm. um oh it's just from that but yeah the, 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 we're kind of introduced to the first problem and it's kind of adorable when you consider the problems that are about four minutes away. <laughs> Shit's about to go down. Yeah, and the, the captain informs them that we're hitting the dark zone, as in just because of the, I think probably the magnetic radiation of the sun, because they wouldn't be able to get a signal out, basically. Yeah, I think, yeah, because uh, they're entering seven days earlier than scheduled. Than scheduled, and uh, so they all send off their, 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 they're told they have to send off their last messages back home until you know probably a couple of years actually because they have to get to the sun and then they have to begin their return journey yeah um and yeah and you're and and then the, they're all a little bit like oh no this is absolutely terrible and i'm thinking yeah buckle up buttercup <laughs> and like so after they they send their messages home and shit like that this like it's soon is it soon after that they pretty much they're going towards um Mercury. Uh, going on Mercury, past Mercury, and onto the other side of Mercury. And they, is it now, around now, to start getting the, is it, you know, um, the, the comms officer, is, is, his, is it now he starts getting the, the, the I, don't, I think, it, yeah, it's what he says is uh, the magnetic um, iron or some shit on Mercury is working like a satellite. And they're picking, and we're picking up a signal. We're picking up a signal, and the what do you what what is he doing? Do you know when he says he's picking up the signal? He looks like he's you know basking his head or, or like in yeah. Yeah, green lasers or so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mace, Mace calls it um, Mace calls it space music. I don't know what that was. Yeah, just, I, I think it must be like you know space does have an ambient sound apparently. Mm. So like I mean I could understand it, but like it's never really explained. Yeah. But but he recognised it as being dun dun dun, Icarus ones. Um, what's the word? Their transponder, their their emergency signal. Yeah. And uh, this is good. This this is actually like this is this is just for me it, it's like solid logic in the next scene where. Mace kind of says, oh, really? So? Mm. <laughs> and 
and uh, they're saying like what they think they were the because you catapult they were they have to catapult around the planet because not to get dragged into its um, gravitational pull. Fifteen thousand miles off course. Yeah, which is nothing in space. When you're thinking, you know, ninety-three million miles to the sun, uh, you know, you're fifteen thousand miles. Like, and you're on the far side of Mercury. Yeah, man, you got close. Um, so he's just like, no, of course not. Every they're expendable. We're expendable. We don't need to do this. And then, uh, but then the, there is an argument, and it is not a bad argument made by Searle, and that is that two last chances are better than one. Yeah. There's two bombs. Because the bomb even working is purely theoretical. When it gets too close to the sun, there's too much, there's literally too many quantum possibilities, as in the amount of possibilities are <coughs> inconceivable, even for a computer. Yeah, because Killian Murphy shows in the next, because like, pretty much, they, because he's the guy we touched on earlier. Yeah, uh, they said they weren't going to do a vote. Yeah. The, the, person, the person who's going to decide is the person who's best... They're scientists. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. It's not the best like informed person. person. Yeah. Yeah. The best informed person should make the decision. And that that, that responsibility falls on Killian Murphy's character, Kappa, because we find out he's the one that designed or built these, I don't know, neutron bombs or nuclear bombs or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And it's he starts going into a room and starts running um I don't know simulations. Simulations, yes, the word. And he's like uh, running all these permutations and stuff that what will happen, uh, how will this affect it or whatever. And then he realizes that it doesn't matter what any simulations he runs, it comes to a certain point for space <laughs> or as Sam Lee likes to say in Event Horizon, when space time and um, but when space uh-huh. space and time becomes so intertwined that there it's too it's impossible to understand or to know what way the bomb is going to react with the sun and the sun yeah. is going to react with the bomb. And so he decides, as you said, and as Cliff Curtis said, Two, be- two last chances are better than one or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, because that's it, because he said it's he, he got into the science with the Captain Canada a little bit, mm. and uh, obviously, unfortunately, that runs him into a circle. He said it's like flipping a coin. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you're talking about quantum possibilities, and he breaks it down to flipping a coin, because it's just, there is just, he's either right or he's wrong. Yeah, That's exactly. all there is to it. But then he said Cyril's argument is sound. Yeah. Two last chances are better than one. Yeah. And it's only like... So simplistic. Fifteen thousand miles. Fifteen thousand miles compared to ninety-three million miles that, yeah. you've, that you have to travel. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the smallest of detours. And there could be somebody alive on Icarus One for all you know. Yes, actually, that there there was theoretically they, they agreed that that wasn't not not the, the reason crew. they could go there. Yeah, not the yeah, whole. Oh God, no. Yeah, but God, no. Mm. And so decide to do it. They decide to, and this leads us to our. This leads us to our ne- our first actual disaster. Yeah, like and so pretty much what happens is when they change their their approach to the sun, the angle of the ship changed with it, and when because of this detour they had to make to Icarus One, um, the shields were not lined up correctly. I think it's one point one degrees or something they were off by the or something. Trey apparently literally. Uh, the, the, I don't know what he really was. I guess he was the physicist on board, like yeah. the, the the plot corrections, navigation, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. He was he was the him and Killian Murphy's characters would have been the brains. Yeah, um, I think they're all he, the brains. There was actually, <laughs> yeah, but uh, but Trey and Kappa, um, but Trey literally forgets to take an entire aspect into account. Yeah. He did not calculate for something. So despite the fact that he ran a thou- the numbers a thousand times, there's an entire aspect of the equation, it seems, that he forgot to run. Yeah, he forgot to redirect the shields. Yes. 
and they're off by 1.1 degrees. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Something really small. Yeah. But like, oh, yeah, in- infinitesimally about, small. But you're talking about the sun, what mistake. You're talking about the sun, obviously, yeah. It's 1.1 degrees too much. Uh, yeah. But the captain kind of, this is what Kaneda brought to the crew, was obviously, he was always level-headed, never rose his voice or anything. Yeah. He said, we're not dead. The sun hasn't burned a hole in the side of the ship yet. Uh, what do we need to do to fix it? And uh, then they're like all volunteer to go out because they need to fix the heat shield. They need to adjust for, for their new trajectory. Yeah. And uh, the captain volunteers himself yeah. because he's expendable as far as he's concerned. Because, you know, he is just the person who gives the command. Yeah. Uh, but he absolutely doesn't know how to, to, to deliver the payload. So he's not. He's not. But then, but Mace actually kind of at that point uh, says, no, I think I volunteer Keppa. Yeah. <laughs> which I didn't really get, but I guess it was a pragmatic thing to do at the time. Yeah, because he was the best one to uh, fix the shields or whatever. I, yeah, because he had the best understanding of it. Yeah, and I think he was a little bit angry at him as well for making the decision to... Oh, yeah, and that's what I thought at the time. But you, yeah. just, you, you kind of, as as his character fleshes out, you realise that he's definitely got like an anger problem. Yeah. He's def- but uh, he can be immature even in a ways. Um, but he uh, is 100% pragmatic. About the mission, he's no nobody's as determined as him. Maybe not even. Thank you. Maybe not even the captain. Yeah. And, um. And so, like, this is where we get introduced to the really unique looking spacesuits in this movie. The, yeah, they're cold. Fucking, they're awesome, aren't they? I assume. Yeah. For reflecting sunlight, I assume that. But this is where I think the info, the, the the science was quite sound. Yeah. It actually looked like they, they must have been designed with some sort of like a literal heat shield built into it. Look like deep they diving had, suits. Had, Remember those old yeah. ones. They even had like water, you know, that you were supposed to take water every fifteen seconds or whatever. Because obviously you're losing, you're losing water, yeah. and they can measure that. And they were measuring how quickly they were breathing. Yeah, and uh, you know, it was just the suits look so heavy as well, didn't they? But this is the first real tension. Like the tension was very palpable at this point. Yeah, and like this is where we see the movie starting to use one of its major strengths. It's it's a score. Like Danny Boyle movies oh, in particular, yeah. used he used loves to use music and stuff to really enhance scenes. I know a lot of directors do, but he's got real kinship with how he uses his score and stuff. And um, in this scene and in this movie, the soundtrack is absolutely incredible. Like it's really, oh, it's really, beautiful. you know what I mean? It's really it mind blowing. Like you know what I mean? It's really, really good. This is probably the first time you you feel it as well because I remember I can't mm. obviously I can't hear her. The, the soundtrack is to steal away from the film. It's not something like so super catchy or that 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 you're singing it yeah like dun, 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 dun. Yeah. it's not that at all it's to set set a mood but i just remember it being just very tensive held notes yeah and you know, it still builds suspense yeah like you're literally about to do a spacewalk on the far side of mercury yeah or and you, it's you're in a suit it's just a suit between you and the sun, yeah. which at this point is ten million miles away or something. Yeah, and, and yeah, and they're not even like strapped to the yoke or anything. They're just kind of I don't mag boots or something. They're just walking I, around. For yeah, the... I, uh, yeah, that that was that was kind of unclear. Um, but yeah, they weren't at all. So they get out there and they 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 start fixing the heat shields, and it looks like they can do it. But something goes wrong. Would you believe something goes wrong? Uh, yeah. So what happens is because of the cal- the miscalculation by Trey, uh, Com Towers two and three get burnt up by the sun, and they. Figure- I think they knew that was going to happen. Yeah, actually. And, but the problem is when I think it's the third by uh, number three. It's either the second or third one, but pretty much when it's on like a turn, one of them gets hit by a solar flare or something, 
And it reflects the light. Yeah, it reflects it. Yeah. And it shoots down into their oxygen garden and starts a fire and starts burning out their oxygen supplies. And um, because of that too, I think, um, is it the sun starts to come over? I think the problem is um, throughout this, Rose Byrne mentioned how she wants to give them as much shade as possible. I think yeah. when the, the ship is starting to turn at a rate quicker than they thought or some shit like that, and the sun starts to eclipse the shields and coming over like the horizon yeah. of the of the Icarus too. And um they get the, the you know the shields fixed or whatever, and then they're making um their way back in and Killian Murphy's like, you know, ahead of Captain Canada and the as like so pretty much I think Chris Evans makes the decision along with Captain Canada, you know, to pretty much leave not even just leave them out there, but like, you know, make no attempt to turn the ship backwards. Because yeah. they couldn't get any further off their course or trajectory or some shit, I think. Yeah, because Cassie wants to save them. And Mace goes, no, we're not doing that. Captain, back me up. Yeah. And the captain's literally the one whose ass is directly he's, on the line of fire. He's running simulations. So, uh, I remember yeah. it keeps coming up, 61% chance of failure, 70% chance of failure, or some shit like that, Like I think, in front of him. And then he, he runs three or four different simulations and realizes the probability of him surviving are very low. And I think that's when he makes the decision that we're going to have to fucking, you know, sacrifice them or make no attempt to help them. They just, they come in or they don't. They make it or they don't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But when even Mace goes, Captain, back me up. And the captain would blow it out. Just kind of shows the strength of character. The captain goes, Why well, yeah. he was the captain, wasn't it? Canadian, yeah, like, that's you know, it. Yeah, like, that's it. Yeah. That's he really could have done with him the second half of this movie, though. But see, that's, <laughs> that's the, that makes him the perfect character. To yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're rudderless after that. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. everybody's, you know, everyone's a scientist and everyone's got a specialty. But I, he was kind of the, the spearhead. He was the one who could break the tension, yeah. give an order that you can follow. Like, don't worry about this, this, this. This is your order. Yeah. Do this right now. Yeah. Uh, it's all about because, decision making, isn't it? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? So they have to drown out their garden with O2 just to kill. Because they were saying, no, we'll lose the garden. And May says, we've already lost yeah, the garden. Yeah, Chris Evans fucking saves them again here. Yeah, absolutely. he's on the ball actually all over this oh movie. Oh my god, he's such a, it's just great to see him because you know he's, he he um he's just such a serious actor in this. You know, it's not. It, I know it's so fantastical, but if for some reason yeah. it doesn't feel fantastical. Yeah, it feels like a scientific endeavor. Yeah, and and it's, he's just it, that look, it, look, guy it feels real. Movie. It is real. It's one of those. Yeah, things well, that's that's yeah. Especially a film with a good score, good actors, yeah. you're immersed. Um, but he tells uh, Canada tells uh, Keppa just to head back. He'll be with him just a minute later because that's always what people do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but of course he isn't. He manages the la the very last thing he manages to do is to fix the heat shield to a respectable degree that they're not in direct yeah. at least immediate danger for another three to four minutes yeah. of storytelling. Um, but of course he's the first to die. And what's really surreal this is Cyril, who's obsessed with the sun, yeah, gets gets into the captain's ear and asks him, "What are you seeing?" Yeah. He just wanted to hear what you've seen as he died. Yeah, it's he like was, a tsunami of sunlight. A tsunami of sunlight. Mm. Um, but he said, uh, but I was thinking, like, you're the psych officer because you're like, they're going to need you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're like, yeah, he's, he's already a junkie. Got, like, he's a, yeah, he's already got scabs. Yeah. Like, he's already got, he's already got scabs on his face. He's, he's like a light junkie or something. It's really weird. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, that's it. That the captain makes it back. We've lost the captain. Yeah. And this now, is the first death. This is the first death. Yeah. Um, and then they realize that they obviously they don't have enough oxygen to get there and back in the reserves. Yeah. No, they've enough oxygen to get there. 
but not back. Yeah. So it's essentially a death sentence. But they uh but they have to be up with the Icarus too and maybe see what they can salvage from there. And yeah, because the, the remaining option to have um they need to lose three of the crew for, that's for it, the yeah. rest of them to get there. That's what your one says. Um, As in lose know. two. Yeah. They need to lose two. Cor having already lost one. Corazan. Corazan, yeah. Corazan is how yeah, I think it was. Yeah, sounds Italian. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, she just, she says that they're going to need to lose, you know, three breeders or whatever. And um, so they decide now that they have no they have no choice, as you said, but to link up with Icarus 1, see what yeah. we're done there, see what they can scavenge, um, because they think that, you know, the oxygen gardens might still be alive or whatever. Exactly, know? yeah. And they do, and they dock... And they get on, which is it was it was completely set up for like more absolute instant failure. But they seem to get this much done right. Um, they are, but, uh, they are geniuses. Yeah, well, actually, you know, it's a fair it's a fair observation. Yeah. Is that the average IQ was a billion, or you know, yeah. the average IQ one eighty upwards or something? But um, but this oh god, there's so much to unpack here. Like I, I'm not going to do a good job of it. It was it was the the coupling. Yeah. Um, the coupling gives way, but, but for reasons that aren't really no, that's, at the that's time. later. Later, yeah, go yeah. ahead, you take it then. So pretty much what happens is they um, find the Icarus One, and then they dock with it or whatever, and then they send in a crew um, to investigate to see what's you know see if the payload's intact, to see what happened with the Icarus Two, if there's any crew alive, to check out the oxygen garden. Yes. So uh, who goes on board is the com what is the comms officer's name? Because I keep just calling him comms officer. Um, the comms officer. He was kind of the least likable guy. Harvey. Harvey. Yeah. Um. So there, there you go. His name was Harvey, and you couldn't remember it. Yeah. You know it's, I mean? it's just what. Yeah. Har Harvey's are never good. <laughs> oh, Harvey's are never good. Um, so yeah, Harvey Keppa um goes on. Cyril goes on. Like so, pretty much like all of them except for I think two of them are three of them. Yeah. Because Trey's on suicide watch, and um, Rose Byrne, Michelle Yo. Well, he's catatonic. Yeah, because he was given hope. It looked like it was going to work out, and then it didn't. And he got his own captain killed. Yeah, and he and he got his own oxygen garden burned. Yeah, and he's lost in space. So like, obviously, it was just too much for the human psyche to take. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, so they, they send over uh, they send over quite a lot of their crew, really, don't they? Yeah, because they have to scatter through. They all have to hit up different sections. Because um, <laughs> I love this part though. Do you know when they go on and um. Uh, Chris Evans goes, I think we should split up, cover more ground or whatever. And Harvey's like, uh, no, I think it'd be better if we stick together. And Chris Evans is like, yeah. why, in case we get picked off one by one by aliens? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> May, yeah, that's the thing. Mace was just such a badass character. Mm. And Chris Evans really does him justice. Uh, but um, we'll go to the observation deck. I always thought that was a very cool scene because it was obviously foreshadowing as much as anything but do you, and especially do you remember though when they came on the, the Icarus 1 they start seeing flashes of people's faces yeah and they said dust as well they complained about dust and the man went human skin yeah 20% of dust is human skin <laughs> I'm like not comforting dude <laughs> not comforting dude. Yeah. there's a lot of dust there if it's human skin like a lot yeah. of dust it should have had the G.I. Joe the more you know kind of thing come up on the screen but yeah i thought that was i just thought that was a cool scene they have, they have a look around the ship but i'm sorry the next thing that jumps out to me is that they see 
the observation. Oh, the see um, the captain's log. Yeah. Uh, uh, pin Pinbacker. Is that played? Is that Pinbacker. his name? Pinbacker. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, and yeah. he was Pinbacker played by Mark Strong. Yeah. Just and you know, I was just thinking, God, Mark Strong again, somebody who I didn't know at the time, and now I've seen him and everything. Everything, God, like you know, he's been in Sherlock Holmes, he's been in Shazam, Kick Ass. He's just he's been in Kick Ass. That's right. He just shows up. He's just he's he's yeah. usually a bad he's guy. Right? He's, he's usually a bad guy, and he's actually probably a lovely guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> you know, a probably... great actor. He's brilliant in the Kingsman movies. I actually just watched them the other day. He plays Merlin in the Kingsman movies. I love those movies. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so like they go, they're like they're going throughout the ship. It's covered in dust. They decide Kepa's going to go check the payload. Um, uh, Harvey's going to go check the oxygen garden, and uh, Cliff Curtis, of course, is going to go check the observation deck. And who who else was with them? Uh, Chris Evans. Where did Chris Evans go? He went to check. Chris Evans is mate. Yeah, he goes to check the coolant um, area, uh, the the drives or the engines or something, and he goes to check that and. Um, so he goes to check the mainframe. Yeah, the mainframe. Have a lot yeah. of expert. Yeah. He seems to have a lot of expertise around that. That must be why he's there. That must be his yeah. part of the mission, pretty much. I think, yeah. And um, so he goes to scope out that, or they all go to scope out different areas of the ship. And throughout this, we start seeing flashes and of people's faces. They look like you know happy. They kind of wearing tropical looking shirts. Some of them are and stuff. And like as we go across the sh- along the ship, where uh, somebody comes up to something and he, he starts cleaning off a picture. And we see that all the faces that have been flashing up were actually the crew of the Icarus One. And throughout this time, it's the scene you were touching on where Cliff Carter's Cyril comes across the observation deck of the Icarus One. Uh, yeah. Do you want to take it from there? Yeah, because it kind of had, to me, it had flashes in my head of Pompeii. Yeah. You know, you know, like people um, people killed by such unimaginable temperatures yeah. that they literally flash. I was supposed to say flash freeze, which is obviously the exact opposite. Yeah. But they are just literally killed so instantaneously and dried to husks so yeah, instantaneously. Yeah, like flash heated or something for lack of exactly, a better term. You yeah. Know? yeah. And uh, that that you can see them. I mean, yeah. you could see that the glasses that the guy was wearing were still there. Yeah. Uh, on on his what would have been in his face, and uh, you just realize it's great when you can figure out so much without any words being spoken. Yeah. Obviously, they're, I think their mainframe or something might have been fried. Terrifying, though, to find that. Terrifying. Because you're on the terrifying. exact same mission they just did. Yeah. I think somebody touches on that. Yeah. yeah, he goes, yeah. We know what. Yeah. He says, yeah. later, he goes, I think we know what happened to the Icarus One because it's happening to us right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, how scary would that be? It's like, do you know what I love about all, like, um, uh, you know, sail- sailing movies or whatever? When they get to like the edge of the known world or whatever, or they're following this shit that's gone missing, and you get to a point where like you know you start running through your head, what what happened to them, and is it going to happen to us? When does it happen to us? Is it inevitable what happened to them, or is what happening to us exactly what happened to them already? And you're playing with through all these computations, you know what I mean? Like, and if you find these dead bodies, and you're like, okay, we know they all got wiped out. There was a cooling failure. What caused the cooling failure? Oh, yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, and they start running through all these doomsday scenarios in your head. And then you, you have Billy. Mean? Billy from Predator is always the one that pops into my head. It's a guy who's supposed to know everything, and he's going, there's gunfire every direction. Yeah. But no one just doesn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. The guy, yeah, there's always the guy who's supposed to know, and he just makes everything worse because he does. Yeah. It's like you that know, scene, it's just... the scene, the scene, obviously, you know, with Billy. Yeah. Poncho, it's like, uh, <laughs> what's wrong, Billy? You know, and he goes like, uh, "There's something out there, Poncho. 
Uh, and he's, and he goes, I'm afraid. And he goes, bullshit, Billy. You ain't afraid of no man. And he's like, something out there, there Pancho. And then he ain't no man. That's one of the greatest fucking lines. Come on. Oh, it's one Oh, my God. Like, time. that's, like, and then, uh, not to go too far off topic, but that's when Carl Weathers goes, your man's losing it or whatever. And then, you know, okay, fuck it. Billy's losing it. Yeah. We're fucked. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's kind of like when Cyril starts losing it as well in this movie. You know, you're kind I of think, fucked. Uh, you know what I mean? Because he's I, supposed I, to be the guy, the, the uh, reasoning well, well, guy, you know? Exactly. Actually, let's jump Let's jump to that. Um, obviously, the, you know, they get whatever information they're going to get. But they, this is when they're, they, they, there seems to have been... Uh, something's gone catastrophically wrong. Yeah, catastrophic malfunction. Yeah, and there's they're cut off. Icarus 2 was cut off from... Icarus it, it, pretty much what happens is the airlock is blown in half the, that, yes. that, that creates the docking or the coupling as you said exactly well, yeah. just, we sound so sciencey <laughs> I called it an umbilicus in Event Horizon and, um, and I remembered it I was like yes umbilicus <laughs> and um, so pretty much the airlock gets blown in half and then the Icarus 1 and the Icarus 2 start to drift apart and everyone uh, that's on board the Icarus 1 starts rushing to the airlock like it's Chris Evans, uh, Cliff Curtis. Mace. You keep saying Chris Evans. It's Mace. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, Mace, Cyril, um, Keppa, um, Harvey, I think they're all the only ones on board. And they all yeah. rush to the airlock to see that they're they they're fucked pretty much. And Rose Burns character, what do we I don't think we just Cassie. Cassie. Cassie gets on the communications and she says to them that they're pretty much screwed, that she can't link back up because the airlock is blown, that there's no um uh, not there's decompression. So what's the word look for? It's like that airtight, whatever for lack of a better term. And I lost yeah. my sciency badge pretty quickly there. And uh, <laughs> but um, so like they're pretty much screwed. Um, or at least like one of them isn't. As Chris Evans kind of says that when he runs over, once again he's the, he holds his like keeps his head in every scenario in this movie. Word one to what? Yeah. Word. Canada, the captain, is the only one you could say the absolute same about. Yeah. But he all, but he was in the film for such a short time. Yeah, you know, he established himself. He did a great job. You know what I mean? He was uh, showing his captain abilities. I, I believe he's going to be Scorpion. Us, you know what I mean? He's going to be Scorpion in the upcoming uh, Mortal Kombat movie, and I'm really happy for him. Who is Chris Evans? No, Canada. <laughs> Canada. Canada. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about like Chris Evans. Chris Evans. I was like, no. The internet is not going <laughs> to like that. No, the internet's not going to like yeah, that. His name is. Uh, Hiroyuki Sanada. Yeah. Pretty um, sure that's close enough. But anyway, back to the film. Definitely better than the Russian one of us does Sputnik. It. Sorry, Russia. <laughs> he, um... May says that uh, one of assistants, like you said, there is yeah. one... A flight suit is obviously not there. It's just a space, just a space suit. It's just a national yeah, suit. Yeah. Hit, yeah. And obviously... But this is the pragmatism again, because he sent Kepa out yeah. without a second's thought. The heat shield... And then, and this time he wants to help it to survive because all that matters now is getting that bomb off, and the best chance they have of getting the bomb off is him. End of end of discussion. Yeah, because it's not like the only it's not short, short straws. There's not there's he's none of the that. only human that can actually uh, you know arm the device because I yeah. Icarus can do it, but he's the failsafe. Pretty yes. much, you know what I mean? Like because like yeah. because I think initially Icarus is supposed to do it, and then they get a four minute delay. They take yeah. back off in the return journey. The bomb drops into the sun or whatever. That's how it's supposed to happen. So I yeah. think the reason Kep is there is, you know, obviously maintain the device, make sure the payload, we have to keep saying payload, make sure the payload. Yeah, we're actually, <laughs> we'd like to shout out to our sponsors today, payload. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so this is where, <laughs> this is where they decide that like, 
um, only one of them is going to make it, or are they? So, like, Kepa, or sorry, not Kepa, uh, what's his face? Uh, Mace comes up with a plan that we're going to put Kepa in the spacesuit and we're going to wrap ourselves in themselves. Insulation. Uh, the insulation from. But you can't jump over. This is Harvey's cowardness. This is the person oh, yeah, yeah, that comes to the surface where he's literally just, and he could tell he's just shook. He's like, oh, the ship needs a captain. Yeah. He's going, no, the ship needs a, 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 a payload specialist. The ship needs him. Yeah. Um, and he's going, no, I, I command you take off that suit. I commanded. Uh, and then, and then, like one of my favorite lines, a little fucking weasel. He just has, I, I would like to assure you that once back on board, <laughs> I will do everything in my power. Yeah, and Chris and Evans is like, like, what are you going like, to everything do? Everything in your power to what? Yeah, like? remember Chris Evans like, what are you going to do? Shuttle back with more suits. <laughs> <laughs> and like, because, like, so they decide that they're going to wrap themselves in the installation and they're going to hook themselves around um, Kepa and blow. It's a 20, it's 20 meters. Yeah. Which doesn't, sound, no. which doesn't sound like a lot, but in space, it's... Oh, yeah, it's in space, it's it 263 degrees. I don't even know if it's Fahrenheit or something. You know, you know what? All I know is, if, if, you know, literally... It'd be cold. Yeah, it'd be cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be cold. It'd be cold. Space, we'll it'd be cold. <laughs> yeah. And, um, the last guy died of heat. Make <laughs> up your mind, <laughs> And um, so... <laughs> So um, they decide that they're going to have to blow the airlock, decompress the, the, the Icarus 1, use the, the change... Propulsion of, created by that. Yeah, use the change in pressure to catapult them from 20 metres across to the Icarus 2 to land inside the airlock and, you know, get their way inside if they can. So yeah. what happens is they realise that the system is down um, because of the malfunction and Cliff Curtis's character, Cyril, is going to have to stay back and manually blow... Well, Harvey was like, "Oh, you want me to do it? You want me to do it, don't you?" And and I think they're so sick of him at this point. <laughs> like Cyril just goes, "No, I'm doing it." Yeah, you know? Harvey, and, I'm literally going to kill myself because I don't have to deal with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And at this point, he's like button uh, the last finishing touches on making sure that uh, Kepa has, you know, the, that Kepa is ready to go because yeah. he is he is what they're trying to get back there. Yeah, uh, everyone gets the bonus. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, oh, this is probably my favorite scene. I have to say, no, it is my favorite. It's fucking terrifying. It's just terrifying. It's just the, just the most unimaginable. Because obviously the, 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 the two passengers that he's yeah. going to take in, Harvey and Mace, um, they have to wrap absolutely every part of their body yeah. in, 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 in insulation. So they can't they do a good job. They do an excellent <laughs> job. Well, I mean, they, they had the right motivation. Yeah. You know what I mean? They had the right motivation. Yeah. But, but they couldn't, like, you know, their eyes would freeze if they could even see it for a second. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that cold. But, um, it's like don't so open your eyes to, and take short yeah, they, breaths, small breaths. They had to blind. It was it was they had to jump, go blind, quite literally. Yeah. Um. So like a bullet shot of a gun. Exactly. So there's explosive decompression. Literally rips the door off, and they fly across. And he's holding them both as best he can, but he loses not one of them, but two of them. Yeah. They, it's just it's too much speed, too much pressure. Harvey hits off debris, I think. And Chris Evans hits off. Sorry, uh, he hits the wrong side of the door, and it's like he kind of swings around. Yeah, it, he, but he bounces, on. bounces off the side of it. I think doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And um, Kepa reaches around, manages to grab him, Great pull save. him in, and he said, uh, "I lost Harvey." Yeah. And at this point, you look, and oh God, like I mean, I know he was the snivelling little coward, and if somebody had to die in that scene, what a horrible way to die, though. But yeah, because he he's floating out, and I think it's kind of like, obviously, you're. 
you were expecting to be there for two and a half to three seconds max. Yeah. He's obviously maybe five seconds, six seconds, seven seconds, eight yeah. seconds. So he knows, obviously, and obviously his body knows. So he just unwraps himself and just lets out, and it's just frozen blood coming out of him. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Great it's scene. horrendous. Space is terrifying. Space is terrifying. Any, any people that go up there from NASA or the ISS, like, I don't know how they can float because their balls must be massive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, as like uh, as Negan used to say, like, you know, to include the women, it's like, you must have some beach ball sized lady nuts on you right there. <laughs> 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 he says that to um, Sonequa Martin's character. Um, shit, I can't remember her name. Um, oh, shit, I can't remember her name. Um, you watched The Walking Dead. Anyway, back to the movie. <laughs> um, so, Go on, look it up. It's uh, going to kill you. <laughs> so, like, um, they get back on board. They've lost, they've lost, um, well, about, they're about to lose two because obviously the man who stayed behind is not long for, long for this life. Um, they get in, they, they, they give Mace everything they can in terms of heat. They obviously, the, the, the re-atmosphere, whatever that word is, they, the chamber, the airlock, but, um, repressurize, repressurize it, yeah. Um, and then there's another. There's a. We see our man float out of space and kind of Sasha. funnily enough hit a communication tower and break his arm off. Oh yeah, because he's the comms officer. Because he's the comms officer. <laughs> so that really works. Delicious and, irony. <laughs> and then the other guy's doing exactly what we knew he was going to do. Yeah. He's already got addicted to the sun and he is going to die. There's no. Yeah. He, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yeah, because like um, I just uh, sneak with Martin Green character in The Walking Dead was named Sasha. I'm sorry, I forgot that. Her brother's name is Tyrese. Didn't have to look that one up. But um, uh, so literally, yeah. So now we see that Harvey has drifted off into space. He's dead. Chris Evans' character Mace, he's suffering from frostbite, and they're like wrapping his hands and stuff. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, Killian Murphy's just like you know sprawled out on the ground. And as you touched on, Cliff Curtis' character Cyril has now gone to the observation deck. Of the Icarus one, as you um, knew he would. Yes, yeah. like if he's going to go, it's obviously the way he wants to go. Yeah, um, and he just goes nuclear. He just he, he doesn't put any filter on. He just looks directly at the sun. Puts his sunglasses and, on. I love that. Puts sunglasses on. <laughs> I love yeah. that. It's like uh, Tiff Curtis. How good are those sunglasses, dude? Where are you getting your sunglasses? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think he wanted to survive a half second longer. Yeah, I think he probably you know just I mean? opened his eyes, thought to take it all in, not give his blind. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? And they kind of, but they're saying to him like, um, "Cyril, we've, you know, we've got, we've got such, a, we've got these two guys. We're moving on. We, we, we won't be back. We were, we're leaving now. We love you." And he doesn't like, you know, react to it one way or the other. But he just sits down and dies, and his death is quite. This is the second noble sacrifice. Mm. And there's been one death by by abstinence, by misadventure, or whatever way you want to put yeah, it. Yeah, Harvey. Um, and uh, and then you're kind of thinking, wow. I mean, what excellent pacing. We're down three people. Yeah, like we're down three people. And every death was meaningful as well. Like, and every death was meaningful. Yeah, and every death was different. The, the captain died literally on a spacewalk from the heat. The, the other guy froze in the shadow of space. Yeah, it's like pretty much the other guy. They're like all the most terrifying things that could happen to you in space. This is how these, this, this guy died. One guy got burnt to death in this like tsunami or sunlight or whatever. This other guy drifted off into space and froze to death. This other yeah. guy, you know what I mean, was like he sat in an observation deck onto the, the, the light of the sun 
burnt him, you know, turned him to ash, like, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, not messing around. <laughs> yeah. Each day is meaningful and epic at the same time, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, but they, then we're to, to they, they, they speak about what happened and they say, look, we were here, you were there. Yeah. And Trey is like catatonic. Yeah. So what happened? And they, they, they couldn't come up with an answer, but they knew one thing. And that was at this point, it is a one way mission. They haven't salvaged anything from Icarus 1. Um, so they're going to need all of the air. So Trey has to go because at this point, he's not actually bringing anything to the table. Yeah. And I, what I liked about Keppa is said he voted to kill him because they were dancing around it, trying to make it a logical thing. But I like when you just kind of like, no, let's move away from that language and call it what it is. Yeah. We're going to kill him so that we can live a bit longer. And save humanity. And save humanity. And save humanity. Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's what this is. like. And, uh, so then uh, Mace goes down to do the deed and you realise that Trey has already opened his own wrists. Yeah. Uh, again, a completely different style of death, a completely different meaning of it. Yeah. His, it's cool his... the way he was in that room where he's like simulating, looking at birds fluttering and flying around him. Yeah, that was it. It was their, like their, their kind of uh, low-tech holodeck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and uh, he obviously just went somewhere peaceful. And, Good name for like, an To album. the best of his ability. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> low-tech holodeck. Yeah. Patent pending, patent pending. Patent pending. <laughs> cut this, Carol, cut this. Beep it out. <laughs> People are like, what did they say? <laughs> um, yeah, um, so like now they they have enough air left because now Trey is dead, Canada has gone, Cyril's gone, Harvey's gone, and all is left is Cassie, um, uh, Corazon, uh, Keppa, and... Uh, Mace. Mace. This is four of them left. Or yeah. so we think. Or so we think because yeah. when Killian Murphy is down with the payload and having a look but over before, everything. Before, though, before, Sorry, we, before we um, get into the final stretch, do you want to take a break or anything? I do indeed. I yeah. do indeed. Um, My bladder is full of urine. Lovely. Cut that car. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Sorry. So we go to the break and we'll be back after break. I'm your host, Vincent Green. He's Noel John Tui. Noel. I am. And, All right. Uh, we'll we're the evasion potty snatchers. We'll see you after the break. All right, folks. We'll be back yeah. in a few minutes. And now from a word for none of our sponsors. <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Le- downloaded legally through downloading sites of legal nature. I'm just spilling all the beans now, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Back to how I'm scamming old people. <laughs> so Ponzi schemes. <laughs> yeah, so Ponzi schemes. <laughs> and welcome back. This is Invasion of the Potty Snatchers Part Two. We're just back from the break again. I am your host, Noel Dantui, and with me is my host. Um, I forget his name, but it's probably Vincent Green. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Story, dude. So, <laughs> but we're uh, we're yeah, we're we kind of left off where. The doom is an inevitable that we're running into the last minute. How much more can go wrong? Spoiler alert, everything. And um, yeah, the, 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 I, I feel like this is the first time the stage has been set, I think, at this stage. Like, I, I don't think they're going to, they don't really go for more, uh, um, they don't really go for more kind of drawn out deaths. I think now the tempo finally hit and the, the crescendo is approaching. So I feel like everything's more close together. There's no more moments of calm at all yeah 
not even little lulls or conversations or or stolen moments. It just it just happens from this point onwards. Yeah, I think Rose Burns says at one stage in the movie, it's like there's a big difference knowing that you might die, and there's a big difference than knowing you're going to die. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, or you knowing that you might not come back, and definitely not coming back, or something along those lines. And like, it's this is where the, 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 they're kind of everybody knows now we're screwed. We're not going home. It's a one-way mission. Yeah, and you know what I mean. And this not just the, that, you don't have any time to process that. You're you're yeah. you're running so low on air, and what you're what you have to do is so important that these yeah. last moments you have are going to be spent up to your neck in work. Because you know, like it, it, it kind of lends itself to that question: if what was it, if it was your last day on Earth? I remember Homer Simpson famously pulling in his car and just crying on the side of the of the road, <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, that that seems about right. Uh, you know, what would it last? Act like it's your last dinner, but obviously you'd spend it with your family, or you tell someone that you love them, or yeah. you tell someone to fuck off, or something. You know, but you do something that's for you. They weren't even, they weren't even given that. Yeah, like and like they were it's just the look, the dead ones, the people who died already were technically luckier because these these people are following very close behind, but they have so much pressure and pain to go through still. Yeah, the anticipation of that is worse than that itself. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, like, now, like, you see that they think there's just four of them left and that they're going to have enough oxygen to at least make the, you know, complete their mission, um, <laughs> drop the payload. Um, <laughs> a word from our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so they, they're, they know now, anyway, that they can make the mission a success at least that like you know they're not going to be able to come home but at least you know they're going to save mankind uh, yeah. but like this is when we see Killian Murphy's character Kappa and he's down in like, that's like, right it's where we left he's, off exactly he's he's uh, making sure that the manual I think the manual transmission for the bomb for the payload is uh payload. is ready to go and the, the ship Icarus informs him that he's going to die and he said I know but we're, we've accepted it he goes no in you don't have enough oxygen in 16 hours you know in 16 hours you're going to complex tasks will be impossible in 18 hours basic tasks you know you're just going to obviously there's oxygen depletion before there's oxygen yeah. before there's death, suffocation and death well she says the icarus computer says that they have 16 hours of oxygen left but it takes 19 hours to complete the mission yes so they won't be able to complete the mission and um, he says no we've run the math we have four people and we've enough oxygen for whatever, 19 and a half hours, whatever kind of skinny or teeth kind of time. And she said, there's five. Yeah. And that's, you're just thinking, no fucking way. <laughs> you're like, xenomorphs. Xenomorph, yeah. yeah. At that point, if I was in Kappa's shoes, I'd be like. This would be some movie as an alien movie, wouldn't it? Yeah. Actually. Like, I'd love to see Danny Boyle do an alien movie. If it was me now, because I, I, I like a little twist, I'm thinking Babadook. I'm just thinking <laughs> random Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> a little fucking kid in that movie is so annoying. I know, I know he's supposed to be. Well, yeah, I mean, I, but I, he is. Well, once you, once you start rooting for the Babadook, it's a lot easier to watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like Babadook, Babadook, Babadook. <laughs> um, but, uh, but um, we have to do that as another episode for sure. He asks who the extra person is, and yes, we do. We ask. He asks who the extra person is. The Icarus informs him that that she doesn't know. Yeah. Um, Unknown entity. Yeah, and where is he? Which is great because obviously the ship can pinpoint you literally just by the fact that you are breathing the reserves of oxygen. Yeah. 
and he's in the observation deck, I believe, or, or somewhere around there. No, he was, yeah. And uh, doing press ups, doing press <laughs> naked. <laughs> and this is this is uh, it's such a good scene. That's Mark Strong. But this is the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't. A, I think for me, a horror movie is based on how a movie makes you feel. Um, you know that that it doesn't have to be the trope of like scream. You have a, a lunatic with a knife versus Freddy Krueger, uh, a guy that can actually invade your dreams. You know, like versus a xenomorph, an alien in space, etc. Yeah. It's definitely for me. It has to be based on how you feel, and I think that's why yeah. thriller and sci-fi have so many overlaps with the horror genre. And this was the but this was the first scene. For me, the felt classic horror. He goes into the observation deck. It's too bright to quite make out what's going on or what's in there, and yeah. um, it just literally felt like you know coming face to face with the devil or coming yeah. to face to face with Pinhead or something. It was literally scary. Do you think that there was a need for Pinbaker, his name Pinbaker, to be the villain of the piece, or do you think the mission itself should have been the villain? Uh, well, actually, you know what? If you're going to, if you were going to give me a one or the other kind of conversation, because essentially he's Pinback, Pinbacker, who turns is the person in the room, the captain of the Icarus One, who's become deranged over the years. Um, yeah. uh, I would say the mission, obviously the mission, because the fact of the matter is that we just need to be here to press this button, and that that's something, some that task is all-consuming, no matter what happens is yeah. an amazing story telling device, especially when executed on such a huge scale. It's not like a conductor of a train and the brake line um, snaps. You know what I mean? It's it's huge. It's literally global. It's every human being that's, that's alive that, and that will ever live. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If it's one or the other, yeah, pinbacker was not necessary. Um, but the fact that the, the whole scale of the mission could make it go crazy, I think yeah. they decide, well, what would be the nuclear version of somebody going crazy on a mission like this and they kind yeah. of they went somebody who's been lost in deep space for years alone yeah who starts hearing voices who's you know absolutely going crazy who's suffered incredible physical and mental torture torturous pain um yeah. so yeah i thought he was he was he, he, self-inflicted self-inflicted yeah but I, I thought it was an excellent I, I don't know he created he created a tension which i thought was really palpable and great because now you had the enemy outside at the unassailable enemy of the sun and then you had the enemy inside which was a literal lunatic who tells him that god has told him that this mission needs to fail and we all need to go to heaven yeah i think like um pinbacker got lost in the enormity of the mission and he probably started remember we were speaking about earlier on that all these questions and doomsday scenarios you start running through your head and I think he just got lost in everything and like I think he obviously they allude to later on or maybe just through his actions that he's obviously the one that sabotaged the Icarus One. He messed with the mainframe and took out the coolant or whatever caused the ship to overheat and then yeah. probably you know maybe locked the rest of the crew in the observation deck and turned off the filter. You know we've seen that like you know and that like now he's on board the Icarus Two he's going to try to do the same thing or whatever because like I like this like you know the, the show yeah everything that's happened and then to show you the villain um, because you're like, oh shit, this is the same thing that's going to happen to Icarus 1, you know, or, or to Icarus 2, sorry, yeah. you know what I mean? That like, it, it's not the kind of person that you can, um, no, you can no longer be negotiating with. 
No, because he's 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 just manic. You know no. what I mean? Like he's just he's gone over the edge. He hasn't seen. He he's he's had the strength of his convictions for seven years, and he's been alone with them for seven years. Yeah. Yeah, there's like I mean, at no point would you even think of, and he, and he wears it on his skin. He's absolutely tortured it into himself. It's as part, yeah. it's as big a part of him as anything else could be. And um, and then of course when Killian gets close, he takes a slash at him because he couldn't see because he had so much light at, at his back. It was just another way that this sun could hurt you in such a kind of obtuse way. And yeah. um, then you kind of have yeah. this weird slasher element to the the fellow which i wasn't I, expecting I, but i did enjoy i like when he goes to pinbaker or pinbacker where he goes uh he's like pinbacker he's like my god he's like your god he's like no he's my god you know like it's fucking really cool and that's when he um slashes at him with the electric scalpel which i can't imagine would have any bonus because you know scalpel is supposed to be precision precision weapon, uh, tool yeah <laughs> you know and the blades bouncing all around the place so i'm not sure what the yeah know, it's not... the benefit of having an electric scalpel would yeah. be but... and now i'll open the left ventricle <laughs> yeah you know uh, it's like when we were doing the spider-man uh, episode and you're like uh, okay now we have to do intricate surgery and you're like take out the surgical chainsaw had a chainsaw for the doc yeah. scene because <laughs> that episode is now available on spotify and all good streaming platforms whatever if you want to give it a listen yeah it's a bit of self-promotion there yeah shameless shameless um but um yeah so like now we're in the running so now we see that there's a flesh and bone enemy on on the Icarus 2, he was the one that caused the downfall of Icarus 1. Now he's going to set about doing it. He's lost in this weird relationship he's constructed with the sun or whatever, or God, or how he sees God or in the sun or whatever. I don't fucking know. But like, he's pretty much gone insane. And now he's attacked Kappa. Kappa's on the run. And Pinbacker now is loose among, um, on the Icarus 2. And everything's going crazy because now everyone's trying to find Pinbacker. Kappa's trying to escape him. And uh, now I think the next character we see is uh, Corazan, um, uh, Michelle Yeoh in the Oxygen Garden, I think. Yes, I think, uh, I, I'm trying to remember the scene right, but I think she finds a sprig, uh, yeah. a literal tiny, tiny, um, like a two clover shamrock, as in just the, 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 the smallest absolute, but um, the thing about plants is, you know, in the right environments, you could make a little out of a lot, uh, yeah, make a lot of a little, excuse me. And, and um, especially with some of her um, expertise. Abilities. I mean, yeah. this woman is so, such a botanical uh, horticologist or whatever the word I'm looking for is. Uh, horticulture, anyway. Um, yeah, or botanist or something. A botanist that she's literally in a deep space mission to save humanity. So if there's yeah. a single person in the world that you'd want that in the hands of, it would have been yeah. her. So it yeah. was just, and you know what? It was. It, 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 it's just great storytelling when you break it down and analyze it because that was a flash of hope yeah inside a of bit the, of life amongst a lot of death like because then that made me think like what if like what you know i obviously I, I when i think about it now even i was like wait it had 16 hours of oxygen this tiny little plant couldn't but i i don't know like this is it's it's based in the near future who knows what they could have done because of course she's attacked yeah i think like a lot of it too though is symbolism that it, you know it's a little bit of life left it like you know everything else is dead and it's just that little bit of life and she like she's nurturing it like a little baby like in her yeah. hands and then you know pinbacker comes in with his electrical scalpel gives her a good old stab in the backy yeah like what 
And uh, that's kind of it. She doesn't, she's dead. That seems really cool though, because she kind of dies with a hole in the plant. That's right, hand, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, just, really that's cool. it. There was just so much symbolism. This, the think. visuals in this movie were amazing. Oh, my though. God. Like, amazing from start to finish. Um, but we can go into more depth about that um, when we kind of wrap it up. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd like that. But I, I, yeah. I, 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 sorry, I lost my train of thought there. But no, I, no, you're cool. She, yeah, sorry. She was the first person now that I'm thinking about. She was the first murder. We have uh, like five or so people that we have a suicide, uh, death, no, yeah, death by misadventure. We have um, the death by misadventure, and then we have a sacrifice, a noble sacrifice, followed by, yeah. followed by a noble sacrifice, and then followed by a murder. And it, there's been so much death and tragedy, but it was all the mission. It was the physics. It was the the, the just things going wrong, miscalculations. Nobody was actually trying to kill anybody up until this point. There's so many ways to die in space, you don't even think of murder. Exactly. Boy. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing I'm just thinking now. Like, this was the first time that somebody heinously did something to somebody else. Yeah, so many people had died heinously. You know? they yeah. were. I know they were going to kill Trey, but, but they didn't because Trey killed himself because even he agreed. Yeah. With the idea, you know, even he agreed that he needed to die uh, at, the, at the sheer scope of the mission. Um, so this was the first time somebody was actually murdered. I think he was just so racked with guilt as well, though. He was always going exactly. To see, you know what I mean? Like, he, I think he was always going to kill himself. Yeah, he he, he if if he was mental state made him redundant, then he was. I mean, it's an expression, isn't it? You're just taking up oxygen, and yeah, it's he, kind of very very literal when to, to use a Nazi to use a Nazi term, a useless breeder, useless you know? breeder, yeah, yeah, or, uh, um, or even a useless feeder or eater or something. Because I even remember Maze in that scene saying, "What is he? Oh my God, what's he done?" Maze says he's taken responsibility. Mm. You know what I mean? Like almost as a tip of the cap to him. Yeah, because um, like, because he understood, like Trey understood, like you know that his life was no longer important to the mission. You know what I mean? That he had to go for the rest of them to have any hope of reaching the sun and you know releasing the, the payload. 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 <laughs> and, um, <laughs> So um, yeah, so now we see like as I said, the, the flesh and bone villain, Pinbaker's pin loose on the Icarus too. Hep is on the run. He's like slashed. Um, uh, I think now is uh, Cassie's also on the run. I think and yeah, she's on the run from him. Uh, but this uh, is the thing you have to say. Trey made a miscalculation, and you can see just what it led to. Uh, and now you have somebody on the ship who obviously knows the ship inside out because essentially he's in the sister ship. Of the yeah. ship he spent seven years in, and yeah. um, he um, he just wants to tear the whole thing apart. He doesn't want yeah. to like accidentally put the heat shield one point one degrees off. No, he's trying to tear the whole thing apart. Yeah, and he does. He he goes and he um, sabotages the Icarus two in the same way he did the Icarus one. Yeah, by lifting the mainframe up out of the coolant yeah. uh, system or whatever the fuck, o overheating it almost instantly. Yeah, and, and um, messing with the power it, somehow because this is when Maze asks, like, what the fuck is going on? Is when, like, even the lights and shit start to go out. And he's and uh, I like the fact that he just says, Look, it's Pinbacker. He's uh, he asks, he asks Keppa what's going on. Keppa says over the comms, It's Pinbacker, he's gone crazy, he's on the ship. He doesn't question it, yeah. it's just too late in the game, it's too late in the game for explanations. He just literally reacts and he just they all they're all just on point, and at this point. Nobody really ends up teaming up again. It become in any really big significant way. It becomes just trying to survive. Yeah. This lunatic long enough 
to die after the mission, which is just, which is just great storytelling. I mean, just it, yeah, it's a like it's a lose lose situation. Well, it's a lose lose, but one one version of it, you know what I mean. Like to put, to put down into basic terms, it's like watching whatever your preferred sport is, but it's like watching your team lose with heart. Yeah, and it's like watching them lose by capitulation, and they're both it's that the end result is the same. But there's one that's so much better, and this is that on a on literal world ending scale. Yeah, because even when they win, they lose personally themselves. That's yeah, really. Uh, but um, so like Pinbacker uh, is after sabotaging the the mainframe. Chris Evans' character Mace is gone down to the mainframe. He's going to try and lower it back into the cooling system or whatever the fuck. And Killian Murphy's character Kappa is uh, stuck in the airlock at this stage and i'm not i'm on a little bit unsure where cassie is i know she shows up again later on she kind of hides herself somewhere right? like in, in some sort of closet or something oh she goes into the um hollow decky kind of thing where trey is and uh she hides in the corner there because oh, she just yeah. she does your yeah good, good call and um so yeah so now we see like three different stories play out kind of simultaneously what happens with cassie what happens with um uh, mace and what happens with kappa so Mace has now pretty much decided now that he's going to have to sacrifice himself because obviously the coolant is minus whatever and it's, you know, fatal to keep dipping yourself in there or whatever. So he has to go down into the coolant system and try lower the mainframe back down so he can make the ship operational again. Obviously, um, your man's messed it up to some degree that he has to do it manually. He has to yeah. get into the coolant. Um, uh, the coolant, which kind of burnt his hand earlier in the film, not that, yeah. like, you know, in, in a kind of almost like a scald, except obviously in the lower temperatures, um, as in he took his hand out and it was sore, but he's going to be okay. But obviously immersing your body in it for yeah, some for extended, for, period, for an extended of time, period of time, and especially immersing your body in it for an extended period of time while trying to do something functional. Yeah. Uh, and he has to do it on multiple occasions. He has right? to do it on multiple occasions. And then in between, when he gets out to get a breath, to just survive a little longer, he's given instructions to Kepa telling him like he needs to do this this and this to get that to get that bloody bomb where it needs to be and the payload payload and he uh it just it just shows himself like at, at the end of it he was definitely the most badass character of the whole film oh mace yeah 100 percent, yeah definitely um he says mission like five times literally um yeah and so right so mace is uh battling with the coolant in the mainframe kepa is stuck in the airlock and um, uh, we see Cassie is down, as you said, with Trey's body in the kind of holodeck. Yeah. And she uses Trey's kind of silhouette or shadow to trick Pinbacker, who's after finding her there, to attack Trey's body. And then she, like, stabs Pinbacker a few times or something. And then we see... Um, yeah, see, she, yeah. sorry, the lights come on in the holodeck and, and Pinbacker confuses uh, Trey's body up against the glass for... Cassie or whoever it is he's trying to kill. So he ends yeah. up attacking Trey, but Trey's dead. He doesn't realize yeah. it. He just thinks it's a person. So when he's wrapped his hands around Trey, that gives her an opening to use. It seems to be a little device she got out of the helmet of one of the spacesuits. Just something sharp, basically. And uh, she manages to, to damage uh, Pinbacker, but he's he's kind of a little bit beyond pain, per se. Like, it'll slow him down, but anything short of fatal isn't going to stop him. Yeah. You know, if you if you cut one of his legs off, he torch the wound, he cauterize himself, and he just crawl after you. You know, that's... he's just going to the observation deck and use the sun to cauterize his wound for him. Yeah, but that's it. Like that's that's how far <laughs> gone this guy is. But um, 
Oh God, it's just such an excellent film. I, I love the way as well, like when um Pinback was on the screen, like the camera's all distorted and shit, and we can't really see him, and it makes him look nearly more monstrous or otherworldly or something. Yeah, like you know what I mean. It's really really. But that's what I mean. I had Hellraiser kind of elements to it for me. Yeah, like a, a literal tortured soul. Come to daddy. Come to daddy. <laughs> Come to daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> So as you were saying, like so, um, she uses Trey's dead body to trick Pinback when she attacks him and uh, stabs him a few times or some shit and runs away. And um, now it switches to um, Mace. He's down with the mainframe, the coolant, and he's on the intercom to Kepper or something. He's telling them how to obviously the the the, the mainframe is fried, which means that Icarus isn't going to be able to launch the the payload. Yeah, launch the payload. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. why I'm getting stuck on that word because obviously the word is payload. I mean, if the, yeah, they say it a lot in the movie. The name the of this scene, they said like four or five times in a row. I think this 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 episode needs to be called payload, payload, payload. Just that. No, uh, no clever uh, puns. No nothing. Uh, just uh, lots of payload. Uh, there might be a clever pun coming out of that. But what's it called like um, yeah so. Now Kepa um, is the only way for the payload to be launched into the sun. So because the manual override or whatever the manual controls is now the last resort. And he has to find some way of getting himself out of the airlock and launch himself um, on getting himself onto the payload and separating the payload from Icarus 2 and kind of pretty much, you know, guiding it or getting know, back. Activated, yeah. yeah, activating it and getting back to manually um, act activate it. So yeah, no, he he has to get onto the payload before it's a, a separator. No, it's after separating from Icarus 2. And he has yeah. to get onto it. Arm it. Arm it. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah. And then he needs to get back to... Which he does. Like, he, he literally needs to push himself off a bomb. Just... Like, the only thing separating him from the sun was the shade of the heat bomb. Because obviously the, yeah. they, they had was massive deflectors on the, the payload because it needed to literally survive to get into the heart of the star. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously is a, is a, is a massive ask. Um, but uh, he does it, and at this, honest to God, I remember feeling a little bit numb. But this is a compliment to the film, and it's not going to sound like one. But I remember just feeling a little bit numb to the suspense here because this film had just been battering me yeah, with suspense. It's assault on the senses. Oh my, exactly. It's an assault yeah. on the senses. Is an excellent way of putting it. And uh, because we had a uh, Canada, the captain die on a spacewalk and we've had uh the, the, when they try to make the jump across the umbilicus or whatever they would call it the the the, the 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 lock in between the two ships uh we lost another character there and another it just it's just been and now we have a killer on the ship and it was such an a to use your words an assault in the senses that i, I remember watching the scene going cool yeah good for you you met it but i remember during that scene me personally just today I remember not feeling the tension, but it's not a fault to the film. It's a fault yeah. to me as a human being, just yeah. burnt out, like, you know? No, I, I actually, I love that scene, though, because, like, literally every inch that Killian Murphy makes or does or whatever or walks just seems so earned and so arduous. Like, the, everything just seems so heavy and just, like, you know what I mean? It's like when, as soon as he, like, uh, you know, he explodes the airlock, um, you know, decompresses it because he's going to do the same thing, kind of like what they did when the Icarus 1 and Icarus 2 were blown apart. He's going to try to use the propulsion to get him onto the payload. So, you know what I mean? Like, and this scene, I love this when he pretty much he ties himself, doesn't he tie himself onto something and he, he blows the airlock and then, like, um, uh, Michelle Yeoh's character cores out. Oh, that was that was that was yeah. something else because it was at this point, like, everything in the film has so much meaning. And, and that, you know, 
cinematography is so excellent. But at this point, yeah. everything is just so chaotic that a kind of a, 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 a lovely character um, and a character you've come to care for in the last hour and a half um, is just like very kind of ambiguously just tossed out yeah. the ship because you know that's it. Just it, it's great about how unforgiving space is. It, yeah. it, she was just sucked out of the ship because why wouldn't she be? Because that's that's what would happen. And uh, and uh, there's just that scene her lifeless body just flies by, and mm. it's just so it's so unnecessary and necessary. I think at the same time, <laughs> yeah, you know, because at this stage it's just like okay, she's gone. Okay, he's dead. He's dead. He's going to die. She might be alive. I don't know. And yeah. that, but like it doesn't matter. You yourself have got about thirty minutes, twenty minutes to live. So, yeah. So now it's just like get on with it. You have to get on with it. You do not even get to acknowledge that somebody that you over the last year or two become extremely close with. There, I like dare I say, love. Yeah. Like a true friend has just literally just been sucked out to space. Yeah, I've got a jettison into space. Like nothing, nothing to mm. say about. It. There is no dialogue. Because who's he? Who? Mm. A. Who's he going to talk to? And B. Yeah. What is there to say at this point? Yeah, and like it's pretty much kept us hanging on as everything's getting like you know shot out into space and um Corazon um as we were talking about she dies or she's dead here she gets she floats out into space and at the same time Mace is down with the the mainframe still and he's like going back in one more time to get the mainframe to go back down to the cooling because he's uh, trying to get Icarus to come back online and like we see now when he gets the mainframe to come back down and he's climbing out he gets stuck and uh gets stuck in his leg or something and uh chris evans dies here mace dies he like freeze to death in the cooling yes and, like, and um all his, his last going. words even just just to, to uh, emphasize the badassness as if it needed yeah. to be was just do it do it do it you know as in like it, yeah. uh, you know at that point if the mainframe's cool enough to run just yeah. just do it i'm i'm dead you know so i'm gonna die now and not three minutes from now yeah uh do it it's just and um so we're pretty much down to the last man, the man left with his god, um, to use Pinbacker's words, and that's Killian Murphy, or so we think he's the last survivor. And we see him inside the the you know neutron bomb or whatever the payload, and he's manually you know arming it or whatever. And we see all these like you know bright lights, or I don't know what to call them. Um, it's kind of out of my feed, you know, astro, I know, physicist. Like, you, you know, know. Uh, but, I only, I, I only lasted two years in astrophysics, and I, yeah. I'm embarrassed to admit it. Noel, I'm a goddamn podcaster, not a physicist. <laughs> I'm barely that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but like um, so uh, the bomb is starting to activate, and then we see um, I think Rose Burns' character Cassie's on the ground, and she's like. I think she's stabbed or something. She seems to be like wounded. Actually, for like, me, I mean, she's definitely wounded, but she's obviously in such a state of shock where she's probably still, she's clearly still in danger, but like in danger from who and what? Like at that stage, you're, it's at that stage, not a word, <laughs> stage. You're, it is now. Yeah, at that, <laughs> it's that stage you're in danger in so many levels. It's already over. That yeah. It's It must be somewhat similar. I, I have a picture in my head that... Uh, I, I remember staring at for a few minutes one time and it was a, an SS officer in World War II being brought out to be executed by firing squad and it was just a picture taken of him when he's tied to the stake and there's just something in his eyes I found really, really haunting that for some reason jumped into my head and it was just that, like, what else is there to say? This, yeah. you know, like, what do you want? Totally defeated. Well, you're totally, like, it's beyond, it's, you know, the, 
there's no fairy tale happening here. Not that he deserved it, fuck him. But like yeah. at the same time, just just that just that look in the eyes. And I, I think Roseburn does an excellent where you don't know like is she injured? Is she catatonic or does she is it yeah. a logical thing? Yeah, you're so far. Everything is the, like, yeah, you're you know, so far yeah. beyond the pale here. Where even yeah. the, the, the I'd love to know how she got on the payload though. Oh, I I actually just think running from running for her life and not worrying too much about where she yeah. ended up as long as she didn't end up with pin um pinbacker. Pinbacker, yeah. And um so she she's like on this I don't know, Jen Cube thing or something that there seems to be the center of the payload and she's like um you know hurt or whatever, traumatized and Dean Murphy goes over to her and like, you know, he's he's you know inspecting her or whatever, see so she's still alive. And Pinbacker comes up and like attacks him, and he's all burnt naked glory. And um, he he's like he I don't understand. Is he like extra strong or something? He li- apparently he it was kind of like Marvel Comics logic, you know, like well, most of us <laughs> most of us get like melanoma, <laughs> and he... what's melanoma, Noel? <laughs> those little cancerous kind of growth. No, it's just a fancy word meaning sexified. <laughs> <laughs> For my family guy, honestly, I honestly don't know. I I wonder about like because I don't. I didn't even know how the gravity worked on the ship. They obviously had invented some sort of uh, anti gravity technology, um, or sorry, artificial gravity technology. I think this is a couple hundred years in the future or something. I actually don't even know if it's that far. I think it's far. You know, like I think it's. I I think that's the best place for sci fi from where we're speaking right now. Is just vague. Yeah, keep it vague, but also clearly not like five hundred years. Where we've yeah. like conquered like faster than speed, uh, faster than the light uh, speed of light traveling, and yeah. you know we can teleport all that kind of jazz. That it's still really, really dangerous and, ar- and arduous. Um, yeah, but um, it's probably the best way to describe the advanced technologies still within the realm of our understanding. Oh, that's an excellent way. Ooh, pat on the back for you. <laughs> I think that's the best way to look at it, though. Like, so it's like everything's more advanced of the things that we already know. You know what I mean? Exactly, so, yeah. That's, ex- um, that's exactly it, though, to be fair. That's, that, that was a really good way of putting it. Um, so Pinbacker uh, holds up Kappa over the edge of this fucking big cube thing or whatever. Because he's you know, Mar- super strong. <laughs> like, all of a sudden. Like, this is the guy who's been malnourished for seven years. Actually, maybe not. Maybe he killed him early and he's been eating like a king. <laughs> like, you know, you know it made I mean? me think of uh, me and my... Uh... I have a Just doing naked press-ups in the observation deck. <laughs> I, I, I have a nephew Noah, and he's 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 a lovely little man, but he's um he's he's incredible athlete. He's real strong. He's into basketball and football and all that jazz. So I used yeah. to have a trick just to just just to annoy my little sister, his mother. So I I grab him by the throat. I wouldn't put my hands around. So he'd hold my arm, and I yeah. I pick him up so that my mother and his mother uh would like go like oh, no 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 you're like you know absolutely freaked the fuck out. So that was like our little party trick. That's because yeah. he weighs like ten kilos. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like he's yeah, just, but he's a lean, he's a lean small. I just kid. think pinbackers off his tits on Vicky. You D. can't pick up an eighty-five <laughs> kilo man. You, you can't. Like, like, I, I, you know, I mean, who picks up a Peaky Blinder by one hand? <laughs> you know what I mean, so like this part here, I thought was a bit ridiculous. Like, because it kind of looks like Cassie Rose Byrne. It tackles Killian Murphy instead of Pinbacker. Like, like she I miss did, him or something? It's like she jumps on his arm. Like the, the yeah, arm. yeah why? Like <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, you're hanging my buddy over the edge. Uh, I think oh, I no. just join him. Oh no! I apparently I think I don't like he they do fall, but apparently eventually where they're falling becomes the flat yeah. ground. 
So do you think she understood that? I think so. Well, I was, I, at some degree she must have, <laughs> but I didn't, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, because when I was watching it, I totally forgot about that part. I was like, why is she attacking Killian Murphy? Exactly, <laughs> like, no, I've forgotten as well. Yeah, it's like, is this a twist I missed or something? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so Cassie um, saves Killian Murphy, I guess, and uh, and Pinbacker, you know, falls to his debt or something because the payload is turning. And does she die here? I, I think she dies here as well. Because Killian Murphy seems to be the only one left running into the climax. Yeah, that's the thing. It was I, the last image I have in my head of Pinbacker was him, uh, Killian Murphy, going from falling to standing up. Yeah. So like the side of the cliff becomes the top of the cliff, and yeah. he, but he's looking up at Pinbacker, and Pinbacker is also standing up, looking down at him. So I guess like I don't know if it's got something to do with the gravitational force of the sun creating a grab that, that like I'm too stupid to know. But I genuinely don't know. <laughs> like, like I don't remember there, there was no kill shot in Pinbacker. I thought he slid down off the cube after um did Rose Burnout tackle um Kappa, Billy Murphy, and rescue him and then they slide along the other Oh, and then he side. falls outside, yeah. That's what I thought. Oh, yeah, no, I think that is what it rotates, it rotates and the, the, the cliff the cliff becomes the background. Yeah, exactly, because it's literally like at an angle, about to literally some fall into back, the heart of the Some background noise coming through now. Is that me? Yeah. Yeah. One sec. You know what? I I, I probably have something open. That's I probably have something open that's making noise. <laughs> Could have been so much worse. Close all my porn. Yeah, it's it's gone now. Whatever it was. All right, cool. It's gone. It's gone. But um, yeah. So all that's left now is to literally, God, like I mean, they did such a great job of letting you know that at this point there is only one thing left to do and one person left to do it. One stop shop, and yeah. uh, but it's. There's so much of this film, and I don't think, like, you know, when we were too busy using the word payload, I think we could have thrown in a few beautifuls. There are so many beautiful visuals in this film, and this kind of very final one, kind of like, the film was so bereft of hope, and even in Killian Murphy, kind of lives to see the fact that his bomb is activated. Like, there was only yeah. there was only an X amount of chance of it activating, and I know it was definitely not a certainty. Uh but he actually gets to see that he understands the process. So he gets to see kind of in the heart of the star. Yeah. He gets to see it and hold his hand up to it. And it, it almost makes you think like, you know, obviously everyone's mortal. Um, and there's many who would give their life to have that moment because yeah. it's probably worth a hundred years of other moments. You know, it was just something so beautiful and so epic. It's such a, such an incomprehensible scale that, that in a way, maybe he was lucky. And I know yeah. that's quite a dark thing to say. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't looking that going, you know, Somebody I'd like to leave my family. Yeah, I wasn't looking that going, I'd, I'd like to never see my loved ones again or something like that. It's, of course. Yeah. But at, at another part, I was thinking like, wow, it's it's, a, it's like, I mean, talk about a life well lived. He, yeah. He's looking at something that nobody will ever possibly <laughs> see ever again. Uh, yeah. And he saved everyone. Mm. And that's all he wanted to do. He was a good guy, like, you know what I mean? He was, he was... He was there for a reason. Called back. He was a good man. He was a good man. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good man. <laughs> I don't know. He went up to the shark. 
I took the star, <laughs> turned on the star. It was good, man. Do you think he was like, he gets to the sun and he's like, you will reignite by order of the Peaky Blinders. <laughs> <laughs> it probably would have worked. <laughs> and like, so, yeah, as you said, the, the kind of space and time, or Sam Neill says space time, they kind of like, you know, this weird, like, you know, everything slows down for a moment and the sun becomes like tangible. And he, like he's able to put his hand out and touch it and shit. Before, you know, obviously they show an outward shot, you know, and it's like he's engulfed, obviously, in the sun. And then, you know, to wrap, to wrap it up, they go back to Earth. There's a call back here where he, his last message back to Earth was, he said that, you know, it'll take his years or whatever to be able to talk to you again. So the only way you can tell if we survive is if you go out one day and it's a, like uh, an extremely beautiful day out. And then you know that we made it. And, say um, if it gets brighter. Because it takes eight minutes for obviously the light of the sun to hit the earth, covered in 93 million miles. And it's her and her sons are playing, it's his sister and her sons are playing in the snow. Because what the fuck else would you be doing? And yeah, and just it is very beautiful. Um, it just does, just exactly as you said. Uh, not not very abstract, really, but it didn't need to be. Um, it just literally becomes bright, and she realizes. Like uh, at that point, you might think maybe he's met it and he's on his way back or something, but all you know is he's completed his mission, yeah. And the show as well that it's like it's Sydney because you can see a Sydney Opera House in the background, you can that kind of gives you a good idea of how bad the climate has gotten around the world, yeah. Like this winter is that a warm climate country like Australia is you know covered in snow and gulf, yeah. Places like God, places like Siberia must could have been wiped off the map, like it could have been, yeah, obviously. The, the toll on the earth would have been all it's not like they saved everybody because obviously they wouldn't have been on their way there if there was so much that wasn't lost already uh, and um big part of this movie because like, we can touch on earlier was the visuals and um like what did you make like i think the the enormity of the mission like the way the design of the spacecraft the way they use the score and the way they use like every the way everything was kind of put together was just like nearly it's like a masterpiece of movie making like he builds tension, builds tension, builds tension, and then he just like the release and the way it used, like, you know, the sun is just like fucking obviously insane. It's like this, like, you know, ever looming force that, you know, they're all going, you know, they're barreling towards millions of miles or thousand miles an hour and they're all going to die. You know what I mean? Like, I think they were traveling about 26,000 miles an hour because I think they, they had this jokey picture of them at the start and it was like, uh, speed limit 26,000 miles an hour, yeah, kilometers 20, an hour, 29,000 29, kilometers an yeah. hour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it all, like the thing is that the, the end of the film makes you think, was that good, like the sheer enormity of it, was that a good mission or a bad mission? Because yeah. obviously on the, on the, for those who've experienced it, bar it succeeding, it could not have gone more wrong. Everything. Yeah. So much suffering and pain and sacrifice and fear and insanity. But on the macro, all like they were expendable and they did it. It doesn't matter. Like that doesn't yeah. matter. So that was it, it, again. It's it's just one of those. Um, I don't know. It's like it's like philosophical questions you see posed. You know, like the, yeah. the, the tram. It's going to hit one person or it's going to hit five people. You let it hit the one person because that saves more. And sometimes it's literally that simple. Um, yeah. the, the uncomfortable but simple. Uh, and it drawed back to when they were voting on killing Trey to save oxygen. It made me think of it as well because they had it on the small scale. And uh, Cassie says, um, I understand the logic of your argument, 
and I know you need my vote, but you just can't have it. Yeah. And I thought that was a very powerful moment as well. Because that she gets it. And she knows yeah. she can't stop it or argue against it. But she you can't have it. And I thought that was you know, it's just yeah, it's just a, I don't know. The, the the film posed questions and but it didn't kind of go up its own arse with it. It, yeah. it just did, just the shoot just the storyline begged the questions instead of the characters kind of in an overt way kind of asking the questions. And I, I don't know, at the end of it I just thought I, I just thought it was masterful. I really did. Maybe maybe they didn't need Pinbacker. You know, God knows everything was going to shit already. But he yeah. he did lend... Maybe just, like, full-blown insanity was one of the human elements that they really wanted to introduce to the story. And, yeah. and he had that in spades, like, you know. I, and I think as well, when you introduce Pinbacker, you can kind of accelerate the doomsday scenario. Yes. Because you have someone actively sabotaging the shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of things going wrong gradually. Because that's what's kind of what happened before he got involved. Because like I know the whole thing with Trey, uh, like went wrong and stuff in the heat shields. But like apart from that, the only thing that went wrong that wasn't Pinbacker, like that was the only thing that went wrong that wasn't Pinbacker's fault, really. You know what I mean? Like because he blew the airlock. He obviously sabotaged Icarus one. He sabotaged Icarus two by taking the mainframe out of coolant. You know he he, he kills Michelle Yeoh's character. You know he Grand he attacks. Yeah, uh, uh, Corazon, um, and he he kills her character, and he kills like, um, pretty much Chris Evans by proxy, by taking the mainframe out and sabotaging to the degree that he had to you know get in the cool and shit. So like I think pretty much everything that went wrong, apart from the heat shields, is actually Pinbacker's fault. I think that's the main reason that they actually added that character, you know, just to accelerate things, because you need to uh, add you know the ticket time clock that when they are not because you can't just say like. I know, like, in the sense that the sun is a good enough villain or the mission, the arduousness of the mission is a good enough villain. But I think the whole reason for Pinbacker is just, just like, you need to put a ticking clock that maybe they won't make it because someone's actively trying to stop them. You know what I mean? Like, instead of maybe they won't make it because the mission's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I remember just think, thinking all the way through it that, that it, it always juxtaposed for me of... You know, we were talking about you see something like a Deep Impact and an entire city gets wiped out with a comet and it's just like, yeah. whoa. And then, yeah. then you watch a film where somebody you just really... Do you remember the, what was the Liam Neeson film where he sits down with the guy who slowly bleeds to death in one of those survival films and he talks to him during the course of his death? And, oh, uh, the, uh, the Grey. The Grey. And like that guy's death. Great was, movie directed oh, by Joe Carnahan. That, was, that death was brutal. That death was just a death. So there is just a, a, a kind of like the scope you're looking at it from. It's kind of like when we talked about before, it's like in Armageddon, you mentioned when Paris gets wiped out and then I was talking about how that doesn't hit you as hard as when Bruce Willis dies at the end of the movie. No, of course it doesn't. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, it's just one of those weird disconnects you have with big like mass like disaster in a movie or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Because you're looking at the special effects more than the after effects. I think at the end of Armageddon, yeah. it turned out Bruce Willis was dead all along. <laughs> Ooh, what a twist! <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so like, so do you? Would you? Well, we always gonna end on this one, but would you? Would you recommend this movie? Ah, God, I think about like, if somebody was kind enough to stay with us for this long, I, I don't think I'm gonna insult their intelligence enough by answering the question. I think we have both basically slobbered over this movie 
Yeah, it was just a cool movie, man. And, yeah, and like, you know, it was a storytelling movie. I, I think we have gone a little bit fanfare in the last 10 years. Um, yeah. and, and, and not always bad. I mean, Marvel has made some absolutely incredible, incredible movies. And, uh, you know, Disney and et cetera and so forth. Um, but I, I, I just felt like that was storytelling. Like it was pure or something. I don't know. I, I, I felt like it was probably a, a, a film, a film file, a movie files film. It was a film yeah. that you could sink your teeth into, that you could talk about the abstract, that it lended itself to different conversations. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, so I just thought it was, yeah, I just thought it was a film lover's film. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It was kind of in the mold of like a pocket, uh, not a pocket, it was like 2001 Space Odyssey. Yes. And you know what I mean? And like we already said about Event Horizon, it's kind of like Space Odyssey meets Event Horizon in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, where you know, ask big questions and shit like that. Um, and I'd like to stand over it. If somebody said I considered a film a horror, I'd say yeah, yeah. Obviously, just the technicality that it's just not because it wasn't written. It wasn't written yeah. to be. So therefore, it's yeah. not. I guess if you want to get down to the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah, but we do do sci-fi here as well on Potty Snatchers. Oh no, no, no we uh, we do, we yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying that. But like that's what horror I think is. Is is kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's not yeah. always the thing, and there's this grotesque creature erupting people again like disemboweled and stuff it's a or a slasher you know an unkillable monster in a forest it's um yeah. it's just a, a feeling in your gut you know yeah, like, from the safety not, of your home yeah um, there's nothing scarier than space no no there's not even you, yeah even when you try and contemplate what it'd be like to be up in the iss or something like that those people are insane like or like it's like it's there's not it's hard to contemplate what it'd be like to be on a ship for an extended period of time and can't go outside, you're breathing recycled air, you can only see the same people over and over again, you never have natural light. It's like it's impossible to comprehend unless you experience it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like and this movie kind of com- it conveys that to the nth degree. Oh my god, know? it does. Yeah, and I think that's the best thing about it is it's just like it gives you a real sense of claustrophobia, it gives you a real sense of the enormity of the situation, it gives you the ch- like the, the, the sense of how it affects people's psyches and all this kind of thing. And like and the way it affected different people, roasty occasions, some people, you know, folded, some people went insane, you know, whatever. Some people got lost in it, like Cyril, and um, kind of pinned back or went, like, he was like Cyril to the nth degree, like, whatever. He was like Cyril turned up to 11, you know. Can I, can I, can I touch upon something that occurred to me earlier and I didn't touch upon? And that is that uh, who is putting this, the, the therapists on these ships? <laughs> look, the, look at the one guy who came off the Icarus 1. <laughs> no, not particularly well catered to in the mental department. And look, yeah. and, and Cyril was the guy who was just like, uh, well, don't just, you can't prepare anyone for something that's never been done before. Yeah, you know? no, you're absolutely right. But I'd be like, okay, but like, we, we, we need to make sure that like, we need the captain to be calm under pressure. But not just that, yeah. we need somebody who's calm under pressure, that when somebody's not calm under pressure, they can bring yeah. them to a place of calm under pressure, yeah. even yeah. when they themselves are under said pressure. And uh, yeah, they, I, they, they, they were bad. They didn't do it well with Cyril, and they did it fucking terribly with Icarus One. Yeah, I think if um, Canada's on Icarus One, this movie doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Canada, like who picked Pinbacker over Canada? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, <coughs> I, look, I, I just picture him in his interview, and he's kind of going, "And you're going to save the Earth?" He goes, "Yes, if God wills it." Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, like I mean, but yeah, yeah, you know, God, but like you know, God helps also helps themselves. And he goes, mm-hmm. no, nah, disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hard disagree. Yeah, hard, hard disagree. He's going, yeah, yeah. you're going to do everything in your power. Uh, uh, you know, everything in your power. He goes, well, if those are the orders, 
Uh, yeah, those are the orders. I don't take orders from you. I think the guy was probably so uncomfortable with the conversation with Pinbacker that he just let him go on the mission. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just like, I, I don't want the follow-up I don't want the follow-up conversation. I, I'll leave the fate of humanity in your hands if it means yeah, you know, stamps approved. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love, like, I'd, love, I'd love like the picture of his file is him self-flagellating you know like that yeah. the wrong, like. <laughs> yeah. well, Horizon, like, there, was, there was two correlations there was one there was the religious captain of the first ship the event horizon yeah. itself Kill and pack. a captain who was speaks latin uh fluent latin who, who and like yeah. at first he's like he says something like you know godspeed and good luck to everybody kind of thing yeah uh, it's it's a nice message and but the second one is like save yourselves and he's holding his own eyes and this part, latin's the creepiest language yeah latin is the creepiest language there's not there's literally nothing no argument there yeah it's just that's just the same in the fact and um and uh, then the second captain does the same thing they did and also yeah. by the way both ships were lost for seven years yeah there's there is a lot of parallels like was like just yeah. Yeah, like Alex Garland tells uh, uh, like the similar story as Event Horizon because, like as you said earlier, just the reason we're doing the Sunshine Podcast is because so we we looked at Event Horizon, we saw, we mentioned similarities. Oh yeah, led us this road. Also, like, the, the road the road taken is that I I think without Event Horizon, like don't get me wrong, I think without two thousand one Space Odyssey, we don't have any sort of any dark sci fi. We have Star yeah. Trek, we have Star Wars, but we yeah. don't have any dark sci fi. Uh, so, so Event Horizon wasn't like it wasn't the yeah. first step, and then, uh, but I don't think you have a, a sunshine without Event Horizon. I think it it took I think it took notes, not at all oh, copyright. Hundred percent. Alex know. Garland one hundred percent has seen Event Horizon. Oh yeah, absolutely. And one hundred percent. It's just it was. Well, at the same time, it's so what? Like I mean, there's there's imitation, it's, it's, there's imitation, and there's inspiration. And yeah, inspiration. This is emul- emulation, not imitation. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it made it work in a more modern setting, obviously. And more looking at it now, well, thirteen yeah. or four, fourteen years later, um, almost on the money, fourteen years later, um, that it still it, it it definitely holds up. Like they had the, obviously we we'd entered into a new era of like touch tech and and kind of like holograms visual visual perspectives on machines are are yeah. quite similar and it just this film felt i don't know it felt fresh it's like if i if i didn't know who the actors were and seeing them all so baby-faced um you could have told me that this film came out last summer in the right scenario you could have it, it's not, it's ageless it's the, like the special effects and the way it's like yeah. the visuals we touched on a little bit earlier well it's ageless like i looked at this and was like jesus movie looks perfect you know what i mean oh like, yeah still to this day like you know and it's like as you said it's like 14 years later yeah and this movie does look like it just came out yeah last it does. summer like you know it's really really impressive like um but like i think you know good science fiction movies are you know can age very very well if they're done right like space odyssey yeah like event horizon even though the special effects are a little bit iffy in that but like the story itself still you know it's still enjoyable um but like this whole movie is fucking awesome, pretty much. It's like we fanboyed a lot over this movie because, oh, like, we did. You know, it, yeah, it's it's the right way to do sci-fi without a monster. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the perfect way to do sci-fi without a monster to make it intro well, and who do you think, or whatever. Who do you think wins in a fight between Jason Voorhees and the endless, endless void of space? 
Yeah, well, Jason Voorhees, because if you ever seen Jason X, I have. Guy, yeah, this yeah. fucking guy just in that Jason X. <laughs> <laughs> it was on his ship in Jason X, to be fair, like you know. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, yeah, he gets rebuilt. In fact, he, t- he tag teams with space. There's no way <laughs> away with him because it end up in space. You know? <laughs> he tagged teams in space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that should have been the tagline. <laughs> Jason X with Jason Voorhees tags team with space. Yeah. Special guest space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For he's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> <laughs> that film had the ki- one of the best kills in horror history, so he'll always get a passing grade from me. Yeah, we definitely have to go through all those movies sometime because <laughs> I fucking love those movies. Yeah, uh, you can belt through them easily. They're all like ninety minutes long. Um, but like, before we get the fuck out of here, do you have anything else to say on on Sunshine? And we like we spoke through, we went through the visuals, we touched on the score. Went through the story, we went through like uh, we talked about Alex Garden's inspirations, Danny Boyle's executions. Like literally we kinda went through this movie with a fine two comb. Um so Noli, before we get the fuck out of here, what else do you want to say about Sunshine? And what else do you want to t- tell folks about this movie? Well, I want to say that this film I think is an ex like forget what you saw on the screen. I think this film is where a composer, a producer, a writer and a director sit down at a table. And they were the right four people to sit down at the table. Yeah. They just were. Um, so this was set up beautifully to be executed by good actors. And it was. But but like right there before, I think before anything, before um, anybody got into a studio, I think we were, this, this was destined to be a good, just a good, a good film. Yeah, I think um, Danny Boyle had previously worked with Alex Garland on 28 Days Later. Is that where he was? See, I seen Alex Garland and I'm not... I don't. You're better at me yeah. than that. You've a head for directors. Well, he directed, and... Uh, wrote and directed Ex Machina, and I'm pretty sure he directed Dread, starring Carl Urban. And he did do Debs with Nick Opperman or Offerman. Offer. Offer. Nick Nick Offerman. Fucking love that dude. Don't know why I keep getting his name wrong. Um, but uh, so like I think they had. I'm pretty sure Danny Boyle had the idea. Maybe this movie and him and Alex Garland. Maybe that's why it was so seamless. That maybe they kind of came up with this idea together. And Alex Garland was the one to, you know, put off the execution. Danny Boyle was to bring it to fruition or whatever. Maybe that's why he had this, like, you know, flawlessness to it or whatever, or seamlessness to it. Because I think maybe the director, the writer, maybe were in the, st- like, from stage one, it, maybe they kind of brought this to life together, maybe bit by bit or whatever. Oh, yeah. That's why, that's why, you know, like, you know, it was very easy to convey Alex Garland's story. And maybe Danny Boyle's ideas into the story or whatever, you know. Yeah. I, I just think uh, I, I think sometimes a film is either going to be good or bad before it's ever before anyone says action or payload. Yeah, because like you know, like a meal can like you know, it's like as soon as you start a meal, if you cook it with the wrong ingredients, it's going to taste like shit. Like, well, that's so, it, yeah. it, you know what I mean? So it's like it's kind of like, you know the harken back to Spider-Man Three. That movie was probably long doomed before camera started rolling. Oh, I was. I've said it. No, no, I was. It was doomed. Doomed from the get go. It doesn't matter who you put in the director's chair. It was just doomed. And this film uh, was the opposite. It was just, it was just artists allowed to make art. And I was really, really, really happy with it. But oh, I'd like to say before we sign off that I've decided coming up on the next episode of Potty Snatchers, I'm going to take a delve into a more modern, but not super modern, 10 years old, uh, suspense kind of slasher horror film, You're Next. 
and uh, I'm I, I'm I'm the virgin here because Vinny's seen it and my uh, fiance has seen it. So I'm looking forward to doing a deep dive on that with my co-host Vincent on the next um, installment of Invasion of the Potty Snatchers. Yeah, that's a cool uh, slasher movie directed by Adam Wingard. Wingard. Obviously, the, everybody knows that. <laughs> um, so, right. So, no, we get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Well, cool. Um, sign is off, Noel. All right, folks. Thanks for staying with us for another episode of Invasion of the Potty Snatchers, your one-stop shop for everything that goes chop, chop, chop. I have been your host, Noel John, and he has been your host, Vinny. Thank you so much for visiting us. We will be back. And love and peace out. Stay safe. You're next. You're <laughs> next. <laughs> Payload. <laughs> <laughs>